So, Elliot, Disney has announced they're opening a new Star Wars Hotel Resort where you can actually be a part of the story while you're a guest there. And it got me wondering, like, who would you be the most worried to see as the greeter when you got there? First that comes to mind is Lando Calrissian. Because, you know, you show up on his doorstep, he greets you with a big smile. Then you find out he gave your room away to the folks who arrived right before you, and then he forces you to have dinner with them. Oh, yeah, that's bad. I would really hate to see Darth Vader handling your bill because you know he's going to keep changing the deal. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrano. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say... Get a life. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Geek Counter Geek number 95. Keith Conrad here. Elliot Serrano there. At Keith R. Conrad on Twitter. At Elliot Serrano on Twitter. At Geek Counter Geek on Twitter and Facebook. And um, maybe Discord. We You know, we, we haven't... I haven't tried Discord yet. We should try a Discord channel. Um, How about that cord? Discord? Yeah, yeah, that cord? That, that cord. New phone. Who who Discord? Who dis? <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the first thing that I thought of with uh, this, this Star Wars hotel, which, uh, first of all, well, I should say, the first thing I thought of was I have to stay there. Uh, but the second thing that I thought was, uh, it, it reminded me of uh, when, when the Titanic exhibit uh, was here at the Museum of Science and Industry. I think it was maybe uh, 2002. They actually would give you a card when you went in there, and it would be somebody who was on the ship. And so you were sort of there re- representing that person, and then at the end you'd find out if they lived or, lived or died on the ship. So you weren't right, quite... So you get to- you weren't quite playing that part, but you, you know, you were sort of representing that person. Yeah, the, the, you, there would be the bit where you try to discover what their story was um, as it went, and um, yeah, so you'd find out at the end whether you lived or died. Which was and, a, and I think most people died because you know you kind of want to. That, that's sort of the whole experience of the Titanic is most people died. Right, unless you were rich. You know, the rich people got off. It was the poor people who, who didn't get off. Yeah, or, or, yeah. or a musician. Yeah, so, so I mean, that, that was, uh, you know, if, if you wanted to live through the whole thing and you saw that you were in first class, you were probably feeling pretty good about that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, by the way, did you know that the musicians actually, uh, they, they, were, they were second class passengers? Well, most musicians are. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, when's the last time you saw a musician even flying first class? I mean, yeah. they are going on Instagram showing themselves in first class but in reality they're in coach <laughs> yeah yeah seems about right uh no they they actually uh you know the white star line sort of contracted them out but officially they were just passengers so just passengers. they were passengers playing musical instruments who decided to you know die to keep people calm well, I'm just hoping that at the star wars uh hotel they don't have like the Alderaan tour <laughs> Ooh, you kind of expected <laughs> to, to hang out there for a while what, to watch the that moon come over the horizon. And go wait, that's no moon. 
Yeah, that that's the, that's sort of the bummer part is you know you get your your little card with your character on it and you find out oh oh I, I'm the I'm the guy from Alderaan. Oh, that that's that's not good. Yeah. yeah. Now when you look at it, this is really a very brilliant part on um, Disney's marketing because here's the thing, from what I understand, um, not only are you going to have the whole Star Wars land and the uh, resort the hotel that goes in it. But to play, to quote unquote, play a character, um, for them to track you as a particular character in your storyline, you're going to have to buy one of those Disney magic bands, you know, those bands that they've been selling at the parks to get, you know, like to give folks um, easy access on the rides, for them to like buy things in the shops without having them carry their credit cards and so on. Yeah, they're uh, they're wristbands that uh, everybody gets or everybody that buys them anyway. Right, they're like like twenty, thirty bucks a piece or something like that. So if you want to be a char- a quote unquote character in Star Wars Land, you're gonna need to have one of those. So that's um, that's a great way that they get you to buy that. But for those who think that they're gonna be able to go dressed as a Star Wars character because you want to immerse yourself in the whole experience, well, sorry, but Disney has a no costuming um, policy. You cannot go to a Disney resort dressed as a character. You're just going to have to go as yourself. So the, some folks might find that a bit um, discouraging and maybe not uh, as immersive and an experience as you would think. Well, they, they may actually alter that deal and, and let people start uh, cosplaying in some way. But, uh, yeah, I, re- I remember uh, maybe uh, – three four years ago at this point there was somebody who tried to come into a disney world addressed as tinkerbell and they they pretty much told her uh, you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to put on a, a sweatshirt or something over that outfit missy yeah there's a there's a tumblr a, a blog out there now of of folks they figured out a way to kind of like it's like a disney-fied fashion uh where they are kind of like characters but they don't exact they're not the they're not dressed as um, in costume they're in clothing and apparel that kind of suggests the appearance of different characters so yeah you want to do that too. from uh, from you know i i think it it's sort of instinct to th- think all oh, that that's kind of you know poor form on disney's part but i can totally see it from their point of view because if you're dressed as uh as a character and some kid goes up to you and you know wants to say hi and everything, and you're a jerk to them. Um, you know, the there nobody's going to know that you're a cosplayer instead of a, an actual Disney character. So I think that's or probably why they do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Disney. What do they call them? The, the um... cast members. Cast member, yes. Yeah. So they're not going to be able to tell the difference, and you know, and that's that's kind of a a thing. You know, Disney is very if they're good about anything. It's controlling their IP. So, <laughs> yes, and and uh, by the way, my uh, my mom and and one of her friends went to Disney World in in 1971, the first summer it was open, and uh, at one point uh, she got her picture taken with Tigger, uh, you know, which has to be a lifelong dream for anybody. And uh, while they were taking the picture, uh, Tigger leans over to my mom and says, "If another one of those bastards steps on my foot, I'm going to kill him." <laughs> The moment between grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I have a feeling that uh, that that probably wouldn't happen with a, a Disney castmate in uh, in 2017 or no, or no. 
in, in the future with Star Wars Land. You know what I was thinking when they announced this is, um, you know, I, I don't think they've said where uh, Star Wars, the Star Wars Hotel is going to be. But uh, even though the, the hotels they have on the resort are on the resort, um, I'm surprised that at some point as they've, you know, sort of renovated things, they haven't tried to actually put some, you know, like small uh, boutique, you know, like rich people hotels actually inside the theme parks. Well, uh, Magic, not, I'm sorry, Animal Kingdom has a, uh, a resort right there. Um, oh, yeah, so that's the you... newest one. So they were probably yeah. sort of thinking along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's what they're going to do with the Star Wars land as well. Where you'll have Star Wars Land, but you'll have the hotel that's kind of attached to it, and you can stay there very much like folks stay at the at the at the at the, I forgot what they call the um, the hotel that's next to Magic King, uh, next to uh, Animal Kingdom, because that one's where you can like go out onto your balcony of your room and look down onto the 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 um, giraffe pen or something like that. So it makes it look like you're there in in this African savanna. Which I haven't done myself. I've actually stayed in Kenya and had a a room that looked out over <laughs> the savanna and all the animals. I was like, yeah, all right, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Disney World isn't quite uh, doesn't quite measure up to the real thing. Not quite, not the scale, but so yeah, we'll see. But th- you know what? It's, it, I I want to go. I'm like you. I want to go to Star Wars Land. Um, but I'm going to wait until late in 2019, maybe until 2020, because you know that place is going to be ridiculous uh, when it first opens. I'm I'm already picturing I'm already picturing ridiculous uh, wait times at rides, a la Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Yeah, I was you know it might actually be bigger than that, but uh, um, I you know I'm thinking 2020, 2021. Something like that, uh, you know. Wait, wait a little while for all the, uh, you know, all the all the fuss to die down until it's just another Disney theme park, and then go check it out. And by then they will have figured out all the kinks, and hopefully, you know, Ewoks will not have run amok eating, you know, the um, the guests. Right. Hopefully, we we can yeah. we, we we can hope on that one. Um, you know, by, by the way, it seemed like at, at D23, there was a lot of like Disney corporate stuff, you know, like, like the Star Wars hotel announcement, but I, you know, I was kind of underwhelmed with the, uh, with the, you know, there, there was no Star Wars, uh, the force, um, the last Jedi trailer that dropped in D23, which I, I we weren't really expecting, but you know, that didn't happen. Um, well, there was a little teaser thingy, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. The behind the scenes thing it. came out. Yeah. And then um, uh, some images leaked on Reddit of 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 uh, Luke and Ray and Finn in costume. A bunch of shots of um, Adam Driver's Kylo Ren and even a Snoke image. A Snoke. Yeah, and and Snoke, he's he's really starting to remind me more and more of uh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess he's evil, but he, he's just, he's hes funny evil. So does that make General Hux his smithers? I, I think clearly it does, yes. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's, a, he's a, a red-headed smithers. 
I, I wonder if uh, at, at some point somebody uh, somebody else will make that connection, and there will be like an image of uh, of Snoke on on Reddit as uh, as Mr. Burns. Yeah, really, you just take Mr. Burns and put him in the. Uh, actually, Mr. Burns when he was uh, when he was the alien in the X Files episode from The Simpsons. Yep. That's that's General uh, that's Supreme Leader Snoke. There you go. Yeah, let's make that meme. One yeah, because he, he's meme. got the uh, he's got the robe on. Yeah, he is mm. glowing, which uh, which Snoke apparently does not do at this point. We're not going off Twilight and having him glow or anything like that. But uh, yeah, he just he just kind of looks like Mister Burns. He's just the evil old rich guy. I will. I, once we finish this podcast, I will create that meme and uh, have it ready for uh, posting on our web on our, our website and our Facebook page. Excellent. Um, now, now, say, now, even though not a whole lot of you know trailers dropped and everything like that at D twenty three, it was just a, a glut of uh, trailers and, and information from San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, there there was a bunch of things. Uh, I was, I'll be honest, I was kind of underwhelmed by a lot of it. Uh, there was, with the exception of the um, Infinity War bit that they put out which um, got kind of some folks leaked it on the internet, but they were just, it was horrible what, what, what people were able to catch. And I like, I didn't even care to see that. Um, uh, let's see the, there was another uh, justice league trailer that came out. There was, there were a few, a few movie, some TV announcements. Um, yes, there were actual comic announcements, comic book announcements that were made. Uh, but they were done so early in the weekend, like Thursday, going into Friday, that by the time things really ramped up, a Saturday and Sunday, um, you know, you, you know, people forgot about it. Uh, the most interesting thing that I heard, uh, Frank Miller, who everyone knows for being the person who kind of made Batman really a badass with uh, the Dark Knight, is going to be taking a shot at Superman and doing a Superman Year One. Um, a Superman Year One book for DC, and for those who might not even realize uh, why that's such a big deal, is a uh, Superman did feature prominently in um, the Bat in the Dark Knight Returns, that seminal um, miniseries, and gave us the basis, which gave us also the basis of Batman versus Superman. And, um, uh, are we sure we want to uh, want to be bragging about that? Yeah, I know. Um, the, the thing about it, it's interesting. It's because I, Frank Miller, really, you know, uh, for folks who aren't uh, completely familiar with him, I mean, unless you're like a huge, you know, comic book fanboy and you really read the, these comics like in the '80s and '90s, um, Frank Miller really did. He was the the writer and the creator who revitalized two major properties for Marvel, uh, Daredevil, which um, for the longest time was kind of like this C D level character for Marvel. And he turned Daredevil into this big thing, and that's why when it finally becomes a Netflix um, television series, it was kind of huge. Mm -hmm. um, and and then, of course, Batman. I mean, Batman um, was kind of, in the comics, was closer to the kind of the, the super friends type Batman in the comic books, more so than how he is today. And um, he really made Batman, you know, much grittier, much darker. Again, quote unquote, the Dark Knight, and really launched that uh, that character 
in a way that I don't think even DC realized would happen. I mean, Batman has always been a popular character, um, but uh, th that was huge. And um, a lot of uh, the, there were a lot of elements in the Dark Knight Returns, that comic book, that were lifted and used in the uh, 1980s um, Batman movie with Michael Keaton. Mm -hmm. and there are a couple little bits in there. So um, it's a huge thing. Uh, I don't know if Frank Miller is going to be able to do the same thing with Superman. Uh, Frank Miller's politics have really changed over over time. I mean, Frank Miller back then um, in the um, in those days, if you read his comics from back then, he's very anti-authoritarian, almost socialist. Um, and then, well, that that, then seems, that seems somewhat uh, odd. Yeah. And then and then you read his stuff now, and I think he had like on social media and some he had like total meltdowns over the um, Occupy Wall Street movement. Right. So you could tell he totally went like the pendulum swung the other way, and 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 you know hey you know that you're entitled to your opinions, you're entitled to your own politics, um, and it's not like uh, the com comic book fandom doesn't have its share of really. You know, um, very conservative right wing types. I mean, there are men, there are several uh, uh, very you know quote unquote right wing type comic creators. Chuck Dixon, a uh, longtime writer on Batman, one of my favorite Batman writers, also very much a conservative leans a right leaning type of guy. Well, and then and, there's uh, uh, Scott Adams who created Dilbert and is uh, Donald Trump's number one fan. Yeah, even even cartoonists, even the right leaning cartoonists don't talk about Scott Dilbert. That, that that dude has checked off. He is out of the reservation. We're talking. <laughs> he has lost it. He is off the grid. No one knows what what what's what the deal with Scott Dilbert is. So let's not. We're not. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but there are, in comics you'll have that among fandom. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing that that um, Miller's politics have gone that way or that um you know that he might even put a little bit of that into superman um it should be interesting but you know the superman character is a really hard nut to crack is you know i think that it's something that they've really they've dc comics has been trying to struggle with for the longest time and and trying to get him to that same sort of popularity as even as as um batman i mean superman batman is DC's top-selling book. Well, I think that uh, everyone, you know, if you if you look at the like the history over of uh, of Batman and and Superman, obviously being the two big DC comics, you know, Superman's kind of kind of ebbed and flowed. You know, like he's uh, you know he's been very popular for a while, and then sort of uh, you know people have taken a break from Superman. Like Batman's been sort of consistently popular more so than Superman, I think. Oh, definitely, most definitely. Um, and the, they've done with like we talked about this uh, last week on the podcast, where even with Superman, they tried very hard to get his character elevated, like to Batman status, like they did with Wonder Woman. You know, they tried. You know, DC, you know, f put so much focus on Wonder Woman to elevate her status. You know, they're doing the same thing with um with um superman by the way so, shocking they announced there's going to be a wonder woman sequel I, I i was beside myself when i heard that that was completely uh, unexpected <laughs> really so you know at the, i would say again to the whole point um this sort of thing the fact that they were discussing it I, i'm hoping is good that there were actual comic book announcements at 
Comic Con that um that get discussed later on. And then oh, but then of course uh, Dan DiDio, the um, publisher president of the pu- president of DC Comics, says that the entire comics market is on the verge of collapse. So that was kind of like, he was like Jor-El before the Science Council saying Krypton's going to blow up and people are like, what? <laughs> that was news. <laughs> yeah, that, that does seem like it's news. Well, you know, I, I was having this conversation with somebody about baseball the other day, actually, where, uh, you know, he said that, you know, baseball is on the way out. You know, nobody, nobody really pays attention to it anymore. And I, and I said, you know, even crappy teams draw two million a year. Like, there was a time when my parents were growing up where the Cubs were lucky to get, like, 6,000 people into Wrigley Field. But even when they have crappy teams, they're drawing, you know, like, 25 million people. Now, it may be like everything else where everybody's sort of, like, in their own little bubble. But there's no shortage of comic book fans, you know? Well, not right. Yeah, I I would think it's not so much that there's a shortage of comic book fans is that access to comic books is an issue. Um, I will say... You know, I mean, think about it. If you want to buy the latest comic books, um, you have to be somewhere near a comic shop. You know, comic shops aren't as prevalent, you know, throughout different metropolitan areas as they used to be. I have Third Coast Comics uh, a block away. Yeah. And you're you're fortunate. You have something like that. But not everyone does it. Some kid in Davenport, Iowa might want to buy comic books. But do they have a comic shop in their neighborhood, in their community? Not necessarily. Um, you know, the a lot of folks are now going to mail order. A lot of folks are going to digital comics. Uh, they're they're buying comic books on the Amazon uh, Kindle app. They're buying them Comicsology or on the Marvel app. The the interesting thing about that though is that you don't know the comp uh, the uh, the publishers aren't very forthcoming as to the numbers as to how many books are actually being sold on the digital platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you talk about going digital with your comic books, that kind of puts you at odds with comic shops. These these um, these um, shop owners who've pretty much been carrying the entire industry for the past, you know, 20 some years. And now they're being cut out because digital goes straight to the consumer. And, right. you know, well, you and know, even when no- you when you think about it, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how common this is, but I know I've seen a few people who are doing this. Who are you know artists who will you know go directly to the fans uh, you know completely on their own where they'll you know promote their own material and set up a Patreon and say hey you know support me this way rather than even having a publisher or being involved with uh, comic book stores at all and so you know that that uh, that might be detrimental on uh, on a number of fronts although you know for the artists themselves they're they're going to do pretty well with it. Right, because you're getting you're getting more of, of of the return on the on your investment, and a Kickstarter is another one too. A lot of folks are publishing on Kickstarter. If they can get if they can meet their Kickstarter goal, they they have enough money to print up the comics, ship them out, get them to people, and so on. So yeah, it's it's it, the access bit is really where where comic books if they're if they're suffering anywhere, it's there. Mind you, now you have places like Books a Million and, and Barnes and Noble and all these these um, book chains that are starting to carry books. Um, you know, but most of them they're carrying the collections. You know, the trade paperbacks and so on. Oh, another other announcements from San Diego Comic Con was that they are going to be following DC is doing a project now 
where they're doing some stories that really follow the European model. Um, if you go to a comic shop in, let's say, Paris, France, where I, I actually have, um, they publish... Look at, look their, at you, world traveler. You've been to Kenya, know, Paris, really. France. Yeah, Kenya. I read comic books while overlooking the savannah in Kenya. Yeah, hipster jerk guy, me. <laughs> but I'm... Uh, I'm the you know when you go there it's very much like buying let's say a, a, any other kind of book like a paperback or a novel where they 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 follow what's called an album format and it's an entire story hardcover square bound about the size of you know a, a larger type of book and um you have the entire story there in one sitting or you have the first half of the story and then you got to come back in 6 months or whatever to get the second half which is, you know, the European model and does fairly well. I want to say that Stephen King advocated that sort of thing uh, a few years back when he was doing a lot of comic book writing, saying, you know, instead of doing these, you know, once a month sort of deals, what is called, they're called floppies and in a comic book fan parlay, you know, a lot of folks, you know, they want to get an entire story in one sitting. So why not just uh, produce them that way? Binge reading comic books. And, and that's not that's not a bad idea because uh, you know you'd you'd you know p fans would be exposed to it you know say online uh, for example and then when you when you like something you know you'd be more likely to buy you know a a big uh, a big edition like that and that's where the comic book stores would come in. Mm -hmm. The thing, though, if you're going to have anyone who's going to say there is a a um, a deterrent to that is of course the cost. The price point, and if you have something like that in a um, hardcover, you're looking at something that's close to twenty bucks. Uh, you know, something like a soft cover, maybe ten, twelve dollars. Um, can you get young readers into that sort of thing? Even with a lot of um, publishers that are doing young reader lines, they don't even do even large size trades they like doing the little digest size remember remember the comic book digest we would read as kids like the archie digests and, and others yeah that was pretty much you know all i read as a, as a youngster when it came to uh, comic books is i would get you know a big uh, big digest of of you know one one comic book or another yeah and that was very appealing to um young readers um, parents liked it because you you grabbed them right there in the checkout lane. You yeah, know, but right you there. know my parents liked it because they were just buying one rather than you know buying one every week. They would you know just buy one periodically. Right, and then you you have your stories that way. So trying to get that model, um, keep that model going. I remember pitching. I wanted to do something like that uh, during my run on Army of Darkness. Say, can we do like a an anime style digest? And um, I was told that the whole reason that uh, American companies don't do it is because I guess the, the cost, the publishing printing costs are cost prohibitive. So you really don't save that much money doing a digest as you would think you would. So, again, these are all things that publishers struggle with and access and getting folks into it. Um, you know, it's just it's how wow. who would have thunk that comics would be like healthcare? They're more <laughs> they're just more complicated than you think. <laughs> who knew that they'd be so complicated uh, everything's complicated these days but you know what's not complicated is getting headphones and accessories from tweaked audio i'm telling you tweakedaudio.com sponsors of geek counter geek where you can get um you know all the latest well i will say this they have some of the best styles best features 
um, different color core, uh, different color types, co- uh, color schemes. You have mic'd and non-mic'd versions, which make it great for gaming, um, make uh, phone calls, co-op gameplay, or even just listening to music. Um, uh, everything comes with a lifetime warranty. And if you go to tweakedaudio.com and enter the code GCG at checkout, you get a 33% discount in addition to free worldwide shipping. Well, you can't beat that with a stick. And after you get your new headphones from uh, Tweaked Audio, you'll want to check out some of the other offerings on the Radio Misfits podcast network. And uh, I should say that, uh, you know, I've listened to the first couple episodes of one of the newer uh, podcasts, Millennial and Dad. And, uh, you know, things things have taken a somewhat weird turn. There was discussions of super gonorrhea and, you know, I, I... it, it is interesting, but uh, somewhat horrifying at the same time. Super gonorrhea. Sounds yeah. like an, that sounds like a, a comic book on Kickstarter. <laughs> it, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, uh, the Minutia Men, they were talking about the, the baby boom uh, since the Cubs won the World Series. Because in Chicago, there's been a rash of, uh, of births right about now. And if you sort of, you know, if you do the math, that works out to when the Cubs won the World Series, uh, which sort of makes sense. Yeah. And and it got me thinking because uh, uh, when my when my parents were uh, in town a a few weeks ago, we went to the library to see if we could actually find a picture of uh, of my grandparents on my dad's side, uh, because there was a picture of them in the old Chicago sun. Um, sitting outside the Wrigley Field bleachers waiting for tickets before one of the games of the 1945 World Series. And uh, we couldn't find that. But then when they started talking about the Cubs baby boom, and I realized that my dad's birthday had just happened, suddenly that, like, the math suddenly worked out. And I was like, oh, wow, that that was about, about that time. I find it utterly depressing that I could not get lucky on that weekend. It was even even the Cubs winning the World Series. I still couldn't get lucky. Well, there's still the apocalypse. So <laughs> just remember that. And uh, also another new addition to the uh, the Radio Misfits podcast galaxy, uh, Sheffield's Beer School with Teddy Brunson. Now, uh, Teddy, you, you might remember him from uh, um, uh, Chicago's Best. He was one of the the co-hosts of of that show, and he has. Other than Bill Curtis, probably the best voiceover voice in Chicago. You know, there, oh, there's, nice. there's, there's Bill Curtis, you know, and then everybody else. But, but, you know, Teddy Brunson probably has the second best other than Bill Curtis. Well, John Suntress has got a good voice, too. I mean, if you ask me. But he's not, yeah. he's not part of the, the, the Radio Misfits uh, podcast network. Yet. Uh, uh, and speaking of newer members of the family, too, of course... Caffeinated Comics uh, with uh, John Clark and Stephen Brown. Uh, not coincidentally, uh, I act, we did our very first, uh, be on the lookout for it next week, folks, um, the very first crossover episode of two Radio Misfits Podcast Network co- uh, podcasts, Caffeinated Comics meets Geek Counter Geek where John Clark and I sit down for the an official podcast crossover. Nice. That that's truly a historic moment. 
Um, although I think you were on with them before a few, a few times, so you know. Yes, but this was this has been a time when I've been on their show as a guest, and um, and John's co-host Stephen Brown is there. It's it's for this time. It's myself, John Clark, and myself, one on one, mano a mano. We're calling it um, caffeinated counter geek. I like it. I I, I could see that on a T-shirt. <laughs> so so uh, so we've got caffeinated counter geek. Uh, are we going to have the geeky bitches or the uh, the dishing geeks? I like geeky bitches, actually. Now that I think about it, because some of those gals are pretty geeky. I mean, it's my understanding um, that one of them is a Doctor Who fan. And, oh, uh, Stephanie, nothing wrong with and, that, right? I know Stephanie Bichar. She's a big Batman fan, so um, I think uh, I think um, geeky bitches works. That works. Yeah, yeah. I, I I could I could see that on a T-shirt too, or a coffee mug. You know, some sort of a, some sort of a swag. Some sort of swag. So, uh, you know, we talked a, a, a lot about uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and one of the things that did come out of, of that was there was a trailer for Star Trek Discovery, and, uh, you know, they did a, a panel discussion with, uh, with most of the cast, some of the writers. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm any less pessimistic about the show after having seen that. Wait, the, and the bit that they dropped, that the lead character, her relation to Sarek... Yeah, she so so um, uh, she. It, it's my understanding that she's 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 basically Cybok except on Spock's mother's side, like she's Amanda Grayson's daughter from before she met Sarek. She's like the well, she she calls it there. The, the relationships will be she's supposed to be his adopted daughter. Right. Yeah. But but I I believe she is actually supposed to be Amanda Grayson's daughter but from a previous marriage or relationship or, or something. Something, but then, you know, but then Sarek takes over as the father figure. Right, and uh, no mention of that no, ever I, in, uh, in Star Trek uh, canon, but they say that is addressed, so. I mean, yeah, like when Mike Brady adopted all of the, you know, um, um, Carol Brady's daughters, remember? They, they both had, the, the, their, their, their daughters and their sons were from different marriages, from previous marriages. When they when they were both when they brought their families together, Mike adopted all the, the Brady daughters. So it's kind of like that. You know? It is a little bit like that. Now, uh, I believe Cybok was supposed to be the older brother. So I wonder if he's going to show up. Is Spock going to show up? And and uh, would they would they bring Zachary Quinto in for a for a cameo at some point? It makes sense to do that. Uh, you know, I if I were them, I would. And I'll bet uh, I'll bet he would be up for it too. Mm-hmm. Now it might be a, an issue with um, you know budgetary concerns since it it is a even though it's going to be a very high profile high budget web series it is still a a series that's going to be online. <laughs> uh, but but it's, you know for for like, a guest for a guest spot it's not going to cost you that much. I mean they got Rain Wilson for crying out loud. True, it's it's just a step. Is it a step above or below direct to video? I don't know. I, I think at this point, you know, with with like House of Cards, and you know, uh, uh, you know, The Crown, and there there are really some some very high profile uh, online series. Uh, the Man in the High Castle uh, won some awards and it's very popular. I I, I think it's definitely risen above. Um, you know, the the thing that I worried about was that it was going to be like the uh, the little uh, mini series that uh, a sci-fi did with. Uh, 
uh, Battlestar Galactica, where it was uh, it was supposed to be uh, William Adama during the first Cylon War, and oh, that Blood and Chrome, yeah, Blood yeah. and Chrome, that that was pretty bad. Uh, yeah, not, the not special so much, effects on that. Yeah, not yeah. so much necessarily the story. It's just the special effects were so bad that that it was it was pretty unwatchable. Yeah, um, it looked like they, someone some ki- some high school kid did it on his laptop, like for a a, a school project or something. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's actually my bar for Star Trek Discovery. Is I'm looking for something that looks a little bit better than that. <laughs> so so my my bar is not particularly high with uh, with with Star Trek Discovery. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. Now, Jason Isaacs, uh, also known as, uh, as uh, Mr. Malfoy, um, he's... Uh, Lucius he, Malfoy. Yeah, yeah Lu- Lucius Malfoy. He's drawing a blank on his first name. He's Captain Lorca on uh, Star Trek Discovery, which it... So it, it sounds like, uh, it, based on what I can picture, you know, piece together, uh, it sounds like uh, at the very beginning... Uh, Michael Burnham, the uh, uh, you know the the main character, she is on another ship. She does something bad, which sets up the storyline for the season. She ends up going to this other ship with Captain Lorca, which is actually the Discovery, and he says that uh, Lorca may be the most uh, fracked up captain yet in Star Trek history. He didn't say fracked, but you know my nieces may be listening to this show, so so I, I said fracked. Um, and, and so that got me thinking. Um, you know, Star Trek, unfortunately, in, in their history, they did not do a great job of of portraying captains from elsewhere in the Star Trek universe as being uh, good at their job. Like usually, whenever a a series ran into a captain from somewhere else. They were uh, uh, evil, corrupt, st- stupid, or all three. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of, uh, of um, Captain Commodore Decker, for example. Uh, he, was the, <laughs> he was the captain in the original series uh, Doomsday Machine. Uh, he's got to get a, a, a good uh, a good vote for the worst captain in Starfleet history. Well, I, I was thinking about the other Decker from uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. He was supposed to be the captain of the Enterprise before um, Kirk decided he wanted to take it back. And, and it's one thing to like die in a heroic battle with the, the Klingons or, or something like that. But no, he, he essentially dies because he falls in love with a Voyager spacecraft. Well, when it's Persis Kambata, come on. Uh, that that's that's a valid point. Um, you know, Avery Brooks may be batshit crazy in person, but uh, I, I think Cisco is still my favorite captain. So we're we're not going to put him on the list. Uh, you remember the very early uh, Next Generation episode, uh, Conspiracy, where um, you know it, it was actually a multi-episode arc where. Uh, Picard got a, a, a message from one of his friends that said, hey, listen, there's something wrong in Starfleet Command. And then maybe a couple episodes down the line, uh, he actually crossed paths with these people. And uh, Dexter Remick was the, uh, I think he was an admiral who was uh, like taken over by some sort of alien parasite. And uh, then it turned out he spread it to other people. And eventually uh, he and Riker, uh, Picard and Riker, ended up killing him and his head exploded even though it was on, uh, you know, network TV, his head exploded, which was, 
it was both, uh, you know, kind of horrifying and kind of funny because, you know, it's a TV show in the 80s, so the special effects weren't great. <laughs> well... Yeah, yeah. You, you need if you're gonna go out like that, you need you need a good special effect, you know. Yeah, I mean, not like nowadays they could do someone's head exploding way better. Oh yeah. I mean, no, that's I that's every episode of The Walking Dead for crying out loud. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who to me my all time worst um, Star Trek captain was, and you know maybe you'll disagree with me, but I'm sorry, but Captain John Harriman. Um. He was oh, the, that was that the, was Fry from uh, Ferris Bueller in, uh, in Generations. Yeah. Uh, he was the captain of the new Enterprise, the the seventeen oh one B, the one that you know. Again, when you take those Enterprises, those Enterprise prototypes out for quote unquote training missions, bad stuff happens. You know, it's kind of like you know, I would never want to be on a training mission on, a, on an Enterprise on, on the newest you know, model of the Enterprise, because, you know, the worst possible thing is going to happen. It, and it, Harriman, yeah. It, it, in fairness, it, you know, in defense of uh, of, of Harriman, um, you know, nothing was going to be delivered until Tuesday. So he was just doing the best with what he had to, to work with. <laughs> but but you're, you're on the ship with Captain freaking Kirk. Yeah, it seems like you you would make sure that you had everything in order. You know, when you know Captain Kirk, the legend, he's going to be on, you make sure you have everything ready to go, but he didn't. You know, Harriman is a very good one. Uh, definitely fits into my uh, my mold of, you know, like incompetent captains in Star Trek history. It, and, you know, Captain Robau in the J.J. Uh, Abrams reboot, I you know, I think that's why he really stood out. Even though he was only in the movie for like five minutes, like, the, the, he was in charge. Like he he knew what he was doing, and and that wasn't something that actually happened a whole lot in in Star Trek up to that point. Um, but you know, you had him, and then and then Pike too, who who actually knew what they were doing. And that that's one thing that I will not let you take away from the J.J. Abrams universe. Elliot is, you know, they did portray the other captains as as ac- actually knowing what they're doing. If only they had someone in the White House that could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the absolute worst uh, uh, captain actually he's not a captain he's an admiral was uh, James Layton. Uh, I don't know if you remember him at all, uh, Elliot, but uh, he was in Deep Space Nine, and uh, he was in the episode Paradise Lost, and he basically decided that he was going to like overthrow the Federation government and take over Earth. So I think that you know like he stands out as the worst. That 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 was that was bigly that was bigly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, other other bad captains from pop culture. Um, other other bad captain captains from pop culture. Uh, you know, hey, go, let's go back to the Titanic. Edward Edward J. Smith, but uh, <laughs> a, a, absolutely the worst has to be Jonas Grumby, and uh, I, I don't know if you know who Jonas Grumby is. Who is Jonas Grumby? Well, he's known by another name, Elliot. The Skipper. Hey, Skipper! Hey, Skipper! The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. 
Thank you. 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 Thank you.